You want to hear a joke? <laughs> sure. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Two clowns. Two clowns who? Two clowns who said Bob JPEG would never get fired in last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Those words really did come right out of my mouth. I was like, it <laughs> never happened. Woo! Welcome to Poor Unfortunate Podcast. My name is Caroline Ametti. And I'm Connor Perkins. Welcome to any returning listeners. It's great having you here with us. And to any new listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Big Blue House. We are <laughs> Thank so God you did happy that. that you are here. Uh, if you haven't hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast, make sure that you do that. That way all of our episodes download to your device. You don't miss out on anything, be it uh, irregular schedule type of things or bonus episodes that may or may not be coming. You don't want to miss out on anything. So make sure that you hit that follow and subscribe. And then at the end of the episode... Make sure to hit five stars and leave a review so that someone else can find the podcast. We're seen in search results. All that good stuff. Returning listeners, if you haven't done this, it's the season of giving. And leaving a review is the ultimate gift. And we would appreciate it. <laughs> Speaking of gifts, the Poor Unfortunate Shop is open. You can go to poorunfortunatepodcast.com to see all of our merch. It's available right now to you. You can just go on, find something you want, <laughs> and you click it, and then it shows up at your house. <laughs> it's really true. But if you have friends or you have family members who listen to the podcast and are looking for some holiday gifts, Poor Unfortunate Merch makes a great holiday gift. Just make sure that you get your orders in by December 12th. If you're ordering for the Christmas holiday, we want to make sure that you have that and you're not waiting on it. So, yeah, get your merch, poorunfortunatepodcast.com. Slash shop if you want to go right there, or you can just go to the regular website and then you can click around. Well, everyone, we're going to forego our typical Disney news portion. You'll get all of your lovely Disney updates next episode, next week. But there's some some record setting straight that needs to happen because really, one mere week ago, I made a huge error. <laughs> and so, Connor, <laughs> could you tell everyone a little bit about that? What's been going on? Yeah, so on Sunday, November 20th, I was sitting at my computer doing final edits of our Monday the 21st release. I was hitting export, talking with Caroline, and Disney had some news to share that Bob Chapek was fired as the CEO of Disney, and they had reinstated Bob Iger as the CEO, effective immediately. So... Already, we had old news for you in our oh, episode that goodness. was coming out the next day. And 
<laughs> our next news segment, because we're splitting up this showdown episode, wasn't going to be until next Monday. So we couldn't not address yeah. this. So if you don't know, you've been living under a rock because <laughs> I feel like everyone knows. But yeah, there's been a major shakeup that happened and... I'm going to be optimistic about it. I think that this is going to be for the better. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple things to share of you, things that I've sort of been compiling throughout the week as more yeah. and more information has sort of slowly trickled out from news sites like the Financial Times and Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. and the New York Times about how this all happened and what went down. So sort of like a timeline backstory situation. So Bob Iger, he selected Bob Chapek to be his successor as CEO. And then he left, and that was very shortly before the COVID-19 pandemic set in. And he was actually invited to come back as an executive chairman to sort of help the process along while we were going through the brunt of the pandemic for the Mm -hmm. Disney Corporation. Mm -hmm. Bob Chapek was not the first choice to become CEO or was not the obvious choice to become CEO. And... Bob Iger has publicly stated in the years after he had uh, put him in that he regretted (laughs) naming Bob Chapek. I actually never realized how much smack he's been talking. (laughs) And that's the thing. So over the last year or so, the Wall Street Journal has reported that Bob Iger has been very vocal about his disdain for Bob (laughs) Chapek. And they have said things like he was alarmed by theme park price mm-hmm. increases. Um, he thought that Chapek was too responsive to the stock market changes, which I would agree with and mm-hmm. makes sense for someone who comes from running merchandise and like a toy background. Mm-hmm. He's going to be very gut reaction. You can't do that with Disney. You sort of have to have a steady hand. Yeah. One of the big points of contention was actually happening during the pandemic when he was the executive chairman. He wanted to delay making any layoffs at the Walt Disney Company until the CARES bill was signed so that when employees were laid off, they would be able to take advantage of the CARES Act. Mm -hmm. And Bob Chapek said, no, you don't run this company. I do. You're interfering with the day-to-day. And there was a lot of tension that was happening there. To the point where Iger has now also said that, quote, he's killing the soul of the company in reference to Bob Chapek. And girl's not wrong. Yeah. I didn't even know about previously that I actually didn't know a lot about this, but Chapek had the plan to relocate like 2,000 employees from California to Florida. And just kept like delaying it, putting it off with absolutely no regard to these families and their plans. Just like totally like Scrooge McDuck, like wild. Yes. And in the early days of Bob Chapek taking over, he had a better idea of how he wanted to run the company. Mm -hmm. And it was very much about consolidating a lot of decision making under one place where he had a lot more control. Mm -hmm. Under Bob Iger and previous CEOs, a lot of creative decision making was separated under all of the different umbrellas, which I think works really well when you diversify your leadership like that. Agreed. Because it allows for other ideas and it allows for areas to succeed and offset areas that might be not doing so well because you're not centralizing everything. Mm -hmm. But Bob Chapek was a fan of bringing everything under one umbrella and having a lot of sort of executive power Mm -hmm. situation. 
he also created this culture of cutthroatedness because in that process, there were a lot of people who were very loyal to Bob Iger and Bob Iger's vision for the company that he was pushing out to the the sidelines, to the margins of the company, or getting rid of them outright. And people within the Walt Disney Company said that there was this sort of like culture shock and the whole spirit of the company started shifting a little bit in the way that things were being run to the point where this past summer, a plan was hatched among senior executives at the Walt Disney Company of voicing every single concern that they had to the board of directors for the Walt Disney Company Mm. and making sure that it's pinned on the CEO, Bob Chapek, and coming from different members of the senior executives Mm -hmm. to the point where the board had actually re-upped Chapek's contract for another three years. And as things kept going and more information was coming in, they really weren't sure what they could do at that point. And eventually, uh, the CFO was involved and they were making outright claims to the board. And when the earnings call happened at the beginning of November, it was sort of the last straw and the board was Mm -hmm. sort of like, we really don't have any confidence in Chapek anymore between what the public is saying, between what's coming in from the top executives and the performance of the company overall. This is a no-go. And so at 3 p.m. on Friday, November 18th, Bob Iger was approached by board members asking him to return to the company. And then the entire deal was executed over that weekend. A press release went out at 10 p.m. on Sunday. Spicy. Spicy. And Bob Chapek only found out that he was being fired moments before the press release went out on Sunday. And apparently it was literally just like, you're out. Our lawyers will call your lawyers, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Also, people close to Chapek said that he was aware that there was this campaign, the mm. sort of internal rebellion against him in the last couple weeks leading wow. up to all of this. But he had no idea how quickly it was mm-hmm. moving and how, like, ready to strike it actually was. I mean, was. same. Hence why I said what I said. Because I was like, if this kind of thing happens, it's going to be a slow burn. There's going to be a lot of announcements about him deciding to step down. And it was just lightning fast. So I didn't see it coming either. Yeah. So uh, on the brighter end of everything, with Bob Iger returning, yes, Bob Iger is not a perfect CEO by mm-hmm. any means. You're never going to have a perfect CEO of a company. <laughs> like, that. It's just not going to happen. But for all of that, Bob Iger is someone who I consider having a great vision for the Disney company in that he can really even articulate Mm -hmm. one in a way that I think Bob Chapek was not able to do. Bob Iger has given us things like Disney Plus, D23, gathering people together to reimagine Epcot in a way that acknowledges how Epcot was originally built and what it might need to become. Bob Iger secured the Pixar deal. He secured the Marvel deal, the Lucasfilm deal, the Fox deal. He really had a vision of what Disney could be. He brought technology into the parks. There's a lot of what we can attribute to Disney becoming a truly 21st century company to Bob Iger. And that's a vision that he has. And one of the things that is at the root of that vision is that he 
values creativity Mm -hmm. and thinks that creativity should be at the forefront. So much so that in this first week back, he committed to a restructuring of the company that, quote, puts creativity first. Mm -hmm. And just puts the the financial decisions back in the hands. And we've talked about this all the time. We're like, the, the people who are making the creative decisions, especially when it comes to the parks, should be have some a much larger say in the financial decisions as well. That's such great news. Yes. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Bob Iger is going to be back for two years, and part of his duties is to appoint a new successor. So far, one of the few things that he's really outright failed at. Yeah, that's what I was reading about. I, I didn't really know how much he kind of dropped the ball on succession planning, especially knowing for yeah. a while that he was going to be leaving. He did drop the ball on that, yeah. Yeah, and he passed over some people who were more more ready and expecting, so much so that they kind of like left the yes, company yes, when yes. he passed over them. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. We've got a little ways to go there, and he's got quite a mountain of work <laughs> ahead of him. <laughs> to undo a him. lot of what JPEG has done and rebuild trust. But hey, the Disney stock is looking a lot better mm-hmm. from, from this. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more people who have hope again to the point where I cried thinking about my Disney trip coming up because I know it's not going to be any different. Yeah. But now I know that it's not always going to be like this. Yes. I've heard whispers that one of the very first changes that might happen in the parks is that the park reservation system might be slashed. So... Yes. What I'm hearing is that we should expect to see them removed in January. Wowee. So... Wowee. Okay. Yeah. They're thinking that instead maybe putting a cap overall on tickets sold to the theme parks on any given day. Well, 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 well. (laughs) What a thought. (laughs) Um, but I was, I've been talking about this with a lot of people, but on Monday, I actually had a call with one of our listeners, one of our friends, Gabby, and we were talking about this and there's a lot of really good things to sort of take out of this. But the thing that both of us sort of really latched onto was this overall feeling of hope Mm -hmm. because of how this happened. This happened at the senior executive level. CFO Christine McCarthy was a part of this decision. And it was people who we think of as those jaded top executives saying, no, this isn't the Disney company. Mm -hmm. And it was this feeling of being heard. And I know that they're not listening specifically to the public, but But it was was knowing in some way that they understand what Disney is in the way that we understand what Disney means because Bob Chapek tried to run the Disney company like any other company. And the truth is Mm -hmm. the Walt Disney company is not like any other company. It has encouraged people to put hopes and dreams onto this company. Mm -hmm. It has become synonymous with the word magic in our everyday life. And that has more power than just an economic machine. People have been drawing parallels between the sense of ownership that the public has of the national park system in the same sense of ownership Mm. that the public has of the Disney company, just for what it means so personally to everyone. And that's something that for many companies is like, that's end goal. And there's a price that comes with that, which is you have to be gentle because this is this is this is now emotional. Yeah. And Bob Iger understood that. Yeah. Exactly. Michael Eisner understood that. 
so many of the CEOs, as a CEO for the Disney company, you have to understand that. And you have to understand that Disney thrives when it's taking risks. When it's mm-hmm. saying, we're going to do something that's never been done before. We're going to bring back the wonderful world of Disney. We're going to build Animal Kingdom Park. We're going to create a Disney streaming service mm-hmm. and make Disney accessible to every single person. We're going to bring in Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and put them all under our company. It requires a vision and it requires risk. And that's where the big payoff comes from. So I'm glad that we have someone at the helm who knows that. And I am very hopeful that he will do a better job at finding the next person to carry that same sense of vision and ambition and risk-taking to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like the most important job that he has, honestly, more than more yeah. than anything else to do with the parks, more than anything to do with Disney+. Plus. It's setting up the future because that's what, that's what he needs to come back and fix that didn't quite go as well as it should have last time. So, yeah, I'm just saying anything else that anybody wants to happen, let me know. And I'll just say on the podcast that it will never happen and then we'll be good. Well, I mean, I think this is kind of a first for us because usually when we manifest <laughs> yeah, something, it happens. Yeah, and this is the first while. time we we got the opposite. But maybe it was because you're the truth of it was you wished I, w- I was, was fired. I'm just caught. Yeah, yes. I was just like, I, I'm just the cynicism got me down. That's all it was. I was really wishing underneath yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah, the magic of the podcast heard it. <laughs> exactly. You wished upon a podcast. <laughs> Honestly, like this is I feel like this is almost going to be like, you know, you get out of a, a crappy relationship and you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I talk about now? <laughs> I can't complain about this person anymore. I know. So uh, there'll, there'll always be something, but <laughs> there'll always be something. This is truly the end of an era, though. I know. We can just blame everything on Josh tomorrow now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Okay, so that's everything that we're going to talk about with Bob Iger, Bob Chapek. If you want to know more, there's so much news coming out about it every single day. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be different. (laughs) We'll probably hear some other bombshell things. So, you know, the news is out there. This is just a little taste of all of it. (laughs) But we're going to get into our episode, which this is actually a continuation. This is part two of our showdown where we are taking the Broadway cast recordings of... The Little Mermaid and Frozen, pitting them against each other to see which one comes out on top. So last episode, we covered The Little Mermaid. We did background information and our full analysis of The Little Mermaid cast recording. This episode, we're going to do our analysis of the Frozen cast recording, as well as our final thoughts on the two of them together. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode, Season 3, Episode 6, if you haven't listened to the Broadway cast recordings of The Little Mermaid or Frozen, I'm going to take a moment right now so that you can go ahead, catch up on those things, and we'll meet you when you get back. And welcome back. Now, let's pick up where we left off moving from The Little Mermaid to Frozen. I will say... I went from a, a album that I had listened to so much as a, a young person because, like, as I was really, really gung-ho on musical theater and, like, falling in love with it, this is the Disney on Broadway show that came out. So yeah, that's why I, know, right? I think I latched onto it so hard. I did, too. And listened to it so many times. Whereas Frozen... Even though I love Frozen, even though I auditioned for the show, I actually never listened to the cast album until this moment. It's That's interesting. I would play it a lot for the kids that I was nannying back in 2019. We listened to it every day. So it's interesting. Yeah. 
Connor, why don't you kick us off by giving us a little bit of background information on Frozen, the Broadway musical? So Frozen, they had their pre-Broadway run from August 17th, 2017 to October 1st, 2017 at the Buell Theater, also in Denver, Colorado. Uh, They opened on Broadway. Previews began on February 22nd, 2018, and opening night was March 22nd, 2018 at the St. James Theater, which is not one of Disney's theaters that they own. Fun fact. It closed on Broadway on March 11th, 2020, as part of the Broadway shutdown from COVID-19. And on May 14th, 2020, Disney announced that it would not reopen on Broadway. I don't know if you, if you're someone who's been listening to the podcast, you probably remember that day that we made that announcement. It was really, really unfortunate. But some of the creative team, the director was Michael Grandage. The book is by Jennifer Lee, who co-wrote and co-directed the film. The music and lyrics are by Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who did the music for the film. Some other people that we've got, Rob Ashford is the choreographer. Christopher Oram is the scenic and costume designer. Natasha Katz is the lighting designer. Peter Hylensky is the sound designer. Finn Ross is the video designer. Michael Curry is the puppet designer and won a Drama Desk Award for the puppets. We've got uh, Jeremy Chernick, who is doing the special effects. And then my favorite people here, we have Dave Metzger doing the orchestrations and Stephen Oremus as the musical supervisor and the arrangements. And if you don't know Stephen Oremus, Stephen Oremus has been doing uh, orchestrations, arrangements, music supervision, music direction for shows such as, I don't know, Wicked, uh, Avenue Q, Kinky Boots, and he conducted the film score for both Frozen and Frozen 2. So one of the really cool things about Frozen the musical is there's a lot of people who worked on the movie who are back working on the show. Fun thing to note. Um, They were nominated for three Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, and Best Original Score, Music, and Lyrics, written for theater. Didn't win any of those. Uh, Jelani Aladdin, who plays Kristoff, he was nominated for a Drama Desk Award. And the show stars, among others, Patty Murin as Anna Casey Levy as Elsa, Jelani Aladdin as Kristoff, Greg Hildreth as Olaf, John Riddle as Hans, and so many more. In terms of the plot, it's very interesting. Uh, I haven't seen the show. I may or may not have seen a recording of the show that was done um, less than legally. <laughs> and Oh, you mean you watched a slime tutorial? I watched a slime tutorial. And I also read the script when I had auditioned for it. So from what I remember and from what I'm seeing there, a lot of Frozen has not changed. All the major plot points are more or less the same. So if you've seen Frozen, you know what's happening in the show. There are a couple changes from there. I mean, there's no marshmallow in the stage production. The trolls are replaced by the humanoid uh, hidden folk, which are from a Scandinavian folklore. They're, They're much more, you know human it actually really works i think the biggest change of the show though is really the fact that we're zeroing in particularly on the psyche's trauma and healing of anna and elsa it's much more into their psychological realm and everything like that figuring out what's really going on with that in fact about 30 percent of the show was actually rewritten between denver and broadway to focus even more in on what is happening inside Elsa, what's happening inside Anna. 
especially because they want to amp up the more adult parts of the show. Because funnily enough, the statistic is that 70% of the people who go see a Disney on Broadway show are adults without yeah, children. Yeah. So they knew that coming to Broadway and were trying to find ways to make it even more engaging for that demographic, which is really, really smart. And I think smart, smart, one smart. of the reasons why it played more performances than something like Little Mermaid did. Mm -hmm. uh, the original Broadway cast recording was released on May 11th, 2018, digitally, uh, June 8th, 2018, physically. And there were four singles that were released in February 2018 to show off some of the new music. And those were Monster, What Do You Know About Love, Dangerous to Dream, and True Love. Uh, some other notes about the actual cast recording itself. The For the First Time in Forever reprise that is on the cast album, that was replaced in the show in 2020 for a new song called I Can't Lose You, and that has not been recorded or released. However, if you might see a slime tutorial, you might hear that song. I think I want to say the actresses also performed it on a, a morning show of some kind, so you can see sure. them do it on YouTube, too. Sure. A more legal version of that. <laughs> the cast album also includes a bonus song that was cut from the show called When Things Fall Apart. And another thing, it's a huge asset to this score. The show itself had a 21-piece orchestra, which is amazing. That orchestra was actually expanded to 44 pieces for the recording uh -huh. with 22 strings total. And you can hear it, baby. I know, but give it to me you every day on Broadway, too. You absolutely me. can. So that's that's what I got about Frozen. Oh my god. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's this is interesting. So Connor didn't get to this. These aren't two of the Disney on Broadway shows that he's seen. I have not. And I, have I not was seen lucky these. enough to see both of these. So obviously, the little Mer the Little Mermaid was a bit ago now. So I was in high school, but uh, I saw that when I was in high school, and I got to see Frozen. Um, that was two thousand. I think that was two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was holding off because. Patty, Mirian, and Casey had left by the time I was like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to do two-for-one Broadway week, mm -hmm. blah, blah, That's blah, how blah. I saw it. It was two-for-one Broadway week. Yeah. They had left, and I was like, oh, darn. And then they had announced that Sierra Renee was coming in, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to hold off, and I'm going to see it with Sierra Renee, which was one of the most tragic things that happened. Because I know. I know. There are, there are very select few people who got to see Sierra Renee and that brand I new know. cast that they did so much promotional work. That insanely talented cast. Yeah, of it was Mackenzie Kurtz. She was on. It was her Broadway debut. Um, Ryan McCartan yeah. as as Hans, like just uber talented. And there are very few performances that they got to play before everything shut down for COVID, and yeah. then they never got. It's just very unfortunate. But there are some uh, slime tutorials that you might see on the U of Tubes that can give you a glimpse at those performances because Indeed. they're very very special. Indeed. Okay, great. So now that we've covered some of the background information on Frozen, let's dive into our analysis. And just a reminder, we're looking at these cast recordings through two different lenses. One, the music that was adapted from the original film, and two, the new music that was written for the Broadway show. Positives and negatives within both of them. So let's go through the music that was adapted from the film. Let's do our positive and negatives. And first thing I am going to say is, goddamn, this orchestra sounds so fucking good. This is not the typical orchestra you hear on a cast recording. Mm -hmm. And God bless them for 
getting all of those additional instruments. They ended up having 22 string instruments for this recording. And that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So positives. We kept Whalia. And it sounds fucking badass and awesome and straight up made me cry listening like I heard it for the first time. I know. I mean, I'm I'm (laughs) reading what I was typing. Oh my God, I'm crying as I write this. And then the fact that they used Whalia and Do You Want to Build a Snowman to lead us into a brand new prologue song... This is like actually a fantastic tactic for an opening number. Take part of the score, Whalia, a song that people love, Do You Want to Build a Snowman, and new music, Let the Sun Shine On. And honestly, I would say this is one of the strongest opening numbers I've heard in a Disney show. Agreed. So that's what I've got about Whalia and the opening and all that. Yes, I completely agree with you. I also like, I cried when I saw it. I cried when I listened to it. I'm just so glad that they did not open the show with Frozen Heart as well, that that doesn't happen in the beginning of the show at all. It doesn't belong God bless. There. It's, it's not. It's not in it. It's not yeah. in it. Yeah. And the arrangements, you know, those orchestrations, those arrangements of Do You Want to Build a Snowman, they feel uh, theatricalized here in a really nice way. And the adjustments to transition Adult Anna into Coronation Day, I think, are really nice. I think... Small changes like this keep audiences engaged. Yeah. It would be so easy for parents, especially of kids who have heard the song a million times, to just zone out. Um, but little things like that, like clo- closing the song in a different way, it just makes it feel fresh. Yeah. It just keeps us on our toes. And also, like, yeah. we're doing well yet, but we're kicking in with the bass men first. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know this song, but you've only heard a women's choir do it. And now we're going to yeah. let the whole ensemble, which, like, shout out to this ensemble, because I think that they are <gasps> the strongest uns- part of this cast album. I, I, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. fire. This they ensemble fire. cannot be topped. Yeah. Next thing I've got, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? I think the strongest part of Do You Want to Build a Snowman is... The new dialogue, the lyric changes, it makes the, that makes the girls children when their parents pass. I really liked that. And the freaking orchestrations through this, Mm -hmm. the full on gravitas, the dialogue it shows by making the adjustment of them being kids when their parents passed shows the extent of the emotional suppression that Elsa is cried. doing. I friggin' cried. Same like, with cried. the <laughs> same with the dialogue when she's like, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't dream. She's like, I can't do anything. And she's like, she's frozen herself. Like mm-hmm. it's really traumatizing to watch and like just takes us a little bit deeper, a little bit yeah. darker into the reality of what's happening. Yeah, no, seriously, on stage, again, trying to stay away from it, but seeing two little girls, like, in the funeral blacks is so sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. And I just think all of these small changes added, they're, it, again, it's just enough to keep us on our toes and go through the emotional journey of that song like it was the first time. Definitely. Again, I'm going right through these. For the first time in forever. Yes, agreed. (laughs) Just let Patty Murin slay the fuck out of this song and give us character. Yeah. Also, I'm shouting out again, the incredible ensemble. I have them in my notes for this song too. Chorus section, which has some beautiful lyrics that subtly give us insight to how the people of Arendelle feel Mm -hmm. and just further shows the repercussions of hiding Elsa. Mm, The deepening. So good. 
Yeah. And it's and I feel like it's particularly hard to follow Kristen Bell's version of the song because it's so just some of her line readings are very iconic, yeah. very easy to imitate as well. Yeah. And, and Patty Murin was like, no, I'm going to just. No, she's I'm like, gonna no, su- I have- I'm going to give this the Susan Egan treatment with Bell. Yes, exactly. It's very, very much that. Um, Like, same thing. Kudos to the damn ensemble. Casey belting her face off. The finale of of the song is even better than it is in the film. Like the yes, build of the finale is. of this song is so good. And it's just so dramatic. All of the Arendellians sing. Like, yeah, ugh. yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, like I felt it. I felt. I felt the opening of the gates for the first time. Yes, like, exactly. They're wolf. them all saying the gates, the gates, the gates. Like yes, <laughs> so good. Mm. Love is an open door. I, it's just hard to mess up this song, in my opinion. And, of course, they didn't mess it up. The dance break in the middle is just like a hell yes from me. And, again, the acting on the cast album is incredibly impressive. Because I can see the awkward dance break happening in my mind. And I hadn't seen it ever before when I first listened to the album and I could I could see what was happening in it and that is just like a straight up yes for me I think also adding one more chorus of love is an open door after the marriage proposal I think that's also a yes for me such a small thing but yeah yeah we just got to we got to close this out one more time because it's like she says yes. And then it's the two of them coming together again before the Elsa moment. So yes. this is, this was a yes for me. Yes. Casey's let it go. Oh. I truly don't know how she does it. Oh my God. I remember getting the audition pack and I peeked at let it go to see what they were doing with it. Mm. And I saw that it was like a step down and I was like, Oh, all right. <laughs> And then I saw the option up tag. Oh my god, the option because up. it takes us to intermission. And I was like, the poor woman who is going to be playing Elsa has to go higher than Adina does in the movie. Uh, and Casey makes it feel like nothing. She does fantastic. And her performance at the Tony Awards of this. Oh my god! Everyone in that theater, everyone it's at Radio amazing. City was on their feet. That mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah, what she does is amazing. I love her. And it's hard to take a song that people. Love is iconic, won an Oscar. Like, it's hard to make that feel fresh and different. And she does. Do I personally love the option up at the ending of the song and the way the end of the song ends? I don't know if I do. I'll take the Adina version for me. But for what this has to functionally do mm-hmm. in the show, they did it right. They made the right call. And she slays the house down. She slays. Woo! Okay. I'm putting this in here. Um, so for the first time in Forever Reprise. It's yes, not I have this on here. Right now. But mm-hmm. it's in the cast album. And it was in the show for over a year. Yeah. I'm sorry. They used the bridge from Demi's <sighs> Let It Go at the end <laughs> titles of the film for Elsa to open up the for the first time in Forever Reprise. Fuck. Yes. I am here for this. Wow. 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 <laughs> I can understand them wanting to change the, this moment into a new song because they're like, oh, we can add a new song, whatever. And they do later. Sure, whatever. But I always stand a reprise and these ladies sound fire on it. And 
I, I'm just, I'm always a fan for a reprise. Always take a moment that we know and bring it back and make us hear it in a new way. Like, I'm all for that. That's like how my brain works. And I think this reprise does it. And the two of them just absolutely nail it. But the best part for me is leading with the bridge from Demi's let it go which they do keep with the new song oh they still keep yes 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 i remember that Mm -hmm. i like it's so i remember when i first heard that my jaw was on the floor because i for whatever reason when the film you know connor was there he knows this when the film came out i like would have like a half hour walk back from class to my dorm and i would just listen to that over and it's so funny because i was listening to the adina version and you were listening to the Demi, the Demi version. version. I remember us talking about that. And I was yeah. like, oh, I listened to the Adina version. And you're like, no, I listened to the Demi version. I was like, you're wrong. And then you're <laughs> yeah. like, you're wrong. And I'm like, fuck you. And then I, we had a fight. The fact that we got it in this, I literally never yeah. would have expected that. Kudos to the Lopez's for knowing that 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 piece of that version is so good. But even then, they sort of changed the lyrics around. Yes, exactly. Like, instead of yeah. let it go, it's let me go. It's yeah. Elsa asking Anna to it's let just her like, go. That's Ugh. some beautifully done, like, orchestral and musical surgery, which we just love. Whew. And then just, yeah. the, and you already said it, but Patty and Casey are, they act the crap out of this. The they acting really is so good. Mm. Yeah, they really do. Those are the positives that I had down. Do you have any other positives? I have one more positive, and okay. that's actually Fixer Upper. So here's yeah. what I have to say. I just didn't put it on here, but like, yeah. yes, I agree. I don't like the song from the film. Again, listening to the film soundtrack, no I would No one does. <laughs> um, okay. The transition from the trolls and making them hidden folk, freaking brilliant. Oh my gosh. Sorry, side note. But when you see the show, when the hidden folk come to heal Anna after she has been struck by Elsa's magic, first of all, the queen singing the queen to is call one them. Of the is, hidden folk. Oh, oh my, yeah. yeah, she is, and she sings to call them. And they appear. I had full body chills. I gasped. They appear at the window, and their eyes and their necklaces are glowing, and like they look s- straight up scary. It was one of the best parts of the entire show for me. It was just like magical and unexpected. And they're just so much more compelling than rock trolls. Mm-hmm. And because these characters are so much more grounded, I actually enjoy this song. It's not anno- as annoying. Would I still willingly switch it for a new song, even more tailored to the hidden folk in some way? Definitely. But I the, the singing is so much more rich and the orchestrations are so much richer that it just doesn't feel like a silly throwaway. It feels like, again, something is being accomplished. The dance break is phenomenal and it just feels so much more full and I really enjoy it. Yeah. The highlight of this album for me are all of the ensemble arrangements that happen in the show. Queen Anointed, which is is the (sighs) additional music, but (sighs) Whalia, every single time we bring in the ensemble... They're giving us a full choir arrangement, like at a national competition, complex AF yes. gorgeousness. It's a joy to listen to this ensemble. I didn't think I would ever have a version of Fixer Upper on the positive side of it, but like it sounds so Fixer rich. Upper is on the positive side. They improved mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And the, I think the only reason that they improved it, because they didn't really change much, is this ensemble. 
and the orchestrations. They just like slowed it down a little bit. They yeah. grounded it with some like drums. They, they made some it like, well, a little yeah, bit darker. Stuff at the beginning. They, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let's do negatives. Yeah. So my negative is I don't think we need to end act two, the the end of the show. I don't think the finale needs to be with Let It Go. Uh, Maybe do you want to build a snowman like the movie does? Or something with for the first time in forever being flipped on its head? Let It Go seems too much to me like its own thing. That using it as a closing number for me is just, it's a little bit too much. It's, it's. I understand why they're doing it because they're trying to ground everything in the psychology of Elsa and Anna and like letting things go. And they're trying to make the let the sunshine on moment, but let the sunshine on has its own sort of melody that I kind of wish that like, maybe we ended the show with something new, but I also feel like for the first time in forever could have packed a really, really good closing number punch where it's like for the first time in forever, like we're, finally all who we are or something like that because now we're ending act one and act two with essentially the same song oh i like it i feel like for some reason for the first time in forever would feel a little anticlimactic to close the show i get the theme but i i don't know i don't know i for me it's just not let it go is so much its own thing that i actually think the show as a whole suffers from the moments that it pulls from Let It Go for other music. Wow, sure. And I I mean, it's not often, but in some of my additional music, I have the moments that it's pulling from Let It Go because Let It Go in pop culture just occupies such a space. It's, It's just, it's just so much its own thing. It's an Oscar winning song. It's just like, it's fine for me to exist where it is, but to use it for the finale of both acts, uh, I don't know. It, oh, it didn't I do like, it for me. I would. I enjoy. Okay, that's fair. I would have. I would have enjoyed ending it with them building out the song "Let the Sun Shine On" a little fair. bit more, or ending with "Let the Sun Shine On" and Walia again in ending okay. the same way that we began. But it feels a little bit repetitive. Oh, to me you convinced to end me a little. Act one and act two on the same okay. song. Okay, yeah. For the first time in forever, it does not convince me, but well, yeah, let the sunshine on could convince me. Okay. Yeah. Like, and I know let the sunshine on is sort of like there because it's supposed to sort of be like a spin on let the storm rage on, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they built out like a little bit of its own melody in the opening number. And I would have preferred to explore that a little bit more. But that's me. That's the only negative I have for existing material. I only have one, and that's um, reindeers are better than people. And it's just because I think this could have been the intro into a full song for Kristoff on this theme about him not feeling comfortable around people, maybe even about him being lonely, or maybe build it out into a full song. Doesn't even have to just be the intro. He really badly needs that in this show. I'm also biased. Um, you know, Jelani Aladdin, um, we were in school at the same time as him. It's so amazing to see all of his success. Um, more of his singing. His voice is phenomenal. Why yeah. is he only singing these little snippets here and there? It's completely unfair. He needs reindeers are better than people could have fully been a Kristoff solo. That was a missed opportunity. Well, Frozen doing a great job so far. So far. Woohoo. 
Let's do the additional music for the stage adaptation. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the positives. Yeah. Okay. My first thing that I'm going to mention is actually something a little bit, I don't know if it's controversial. I don't know. We'll find out. Making the building of Olaf and Anna gets frozen for the first time a musical moment with a little bit of you, for me, is a good decision. Is it my favorite song? No. But it gives us some time with the girls to build out more of a relationship as children than we are afforded in the film. And I think that's the best way to also sell a big action moment like the like her getting frozen. Make it musical. Since the underscore of that scene in the film was so pivotal and we don't have that, just make the whole moment musical. It sells it better. So I think, yeah, is this my favorite song? No. Does it do what it needs to do? Yes. Do I understand why it's there? Yes. Do I think that it does what it does very well? I actually do. So a little bit of you, I have it in my positives. Completely agree. I think sometimes these kids' songs can be a little bit like precocious and annoying. And this one never turns into that for me. Expanding the moment, like you said, that Olaf is created is so appreciated. He is so beloved and seeing him, you know, in the show move for the first time in the song is absolutely precious. The song doesn't last too long, so it doesn't grate on you. Mm-hmm. Also, then we hear Olaf singing it when he makes his actual entrance later in the show and it's echoing through the cave. He's singing a little bit of you. And, oh my God, I'm going to cry talking about <laughs> Oh God. Um. All of the little kids in the audience, when they hear that, when I saw it, (laughs) they just, like, they knew what was coming. They knew it was going to be Olaf. And so then you hear his his voice echoing in the cave, and then he makes his entrance singing that. And they all... Why do I have chills? Oh, my God. They And all of the kids, they let out this, like, coo or, like, and you just hear little kids going, like, Olaf, Olaf. And, like... The fact that Olaf is singing the song, that's probably the first thing he ever heard when he was made. I cannot mm-hmm. even. I can't. I oh, actually God. can't. <laughs> oh, wow. um, so wow. love it for that reason. And, and, and a little bit of Let the sunshine on. I know we kind of talked about a little bit of backtracking for a second as well. It's like what you said, like setting up more of their relationship so that we have somewhere even further to fall from. Again, yeah. just raises the stakes, raises the drama, and also in the sunshine on just getting a, a bit of an idea of of Arendelle as a whole is so useful. Yeah, and how tight knit the family is. Yeah, and they say respect for the community. Yeah, they, they say are. respect for the crown runs deep in Arendelle. I think that's yeah. very interesting. And just the narration from the ensemble gives it a very once upon a time feeling that we don't really get in the movie that I love. Yes, which I am generally not a huge fan of narration in shows because I'm just like why tell us when you could just show us? But I this love narration and let the sunshine on worked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It just worked. It worked for me. Mm, and because I just it chills. wasn't like pandering narration. It was sophisticated. It's like they epic. were like, it's they like were we telling have something an epic, epic to story. tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. My next moment, do you have Queen Anointed? On, of course here? I do. Okay. <gasps> ah. I, I didn't build out a whole moment with Queen Anointed because I sort of mentioned it. Okay. But I'm going to afford a moment right now for yes. Queen Anointed, which is just ah. give us an acapella gorgeous ah. moment with this ensemble. Like mm. such a gift to take 
that moment and just like make it even bigger than it is. Make it an active part of the entire cast. Everyone is participating in Queen Elsa's Mm -hmm. coronation so that it makes sense why it is affecting everyone so personally when all of the events that happen later happen. Yeah, and it just makes it feel so much more realistic because in a coronation, like, people probably saying something just like that at a real coronation. So it just grounds the whole thing in this, like, pseudo, like, historical reality that when she's picking up, the you know, the scepter later, it just feels so real and, like, so yeah. based in reality. It's wonderful. It's like they took that moment in the film of the, like, choir in, like, the upper balcony yeah, of, like, the and stave church. exploded it. And just were like, what if we just took that and just made that huge <laughs> yeah. and made that yeah. a number? And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, that's the perfect thing to do. And this just standing alone just sounds like pure, like, a sophisticated non-Disney Broadway Choirs show. could compete with it. Yeah. Choirs oh, my God, yes. It. All right, here we go. Dangerous to Dream. Mm. Positive for me. It is a stunning insight into Elsa that we do not really get in the film. And having heard it, I miss it in the film. Yes. We go so long in the movie with just bits and pieces of Elsa before Let It Go. And I understand why that happened in the movie. And it does work in the movie because it's like she's supposed to be a little bit mysterious to us because Anna is our main character. But in this, they're really giving Elsa a full character treatment and getting her inner monologue of her adult self that we only get a glimpse of in For the First Time in Forever, mm-hmm. where Anna gets characterized by three songs before the inciting incident. This is a necessary, worthy addition to Frozen. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes, I agree. First of all, like... I woke up this morning with this song in my head. I think it's so Oh, beautiful. I listened to it like four times. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And and honestly, like if I could name two moments in from the Frozen film that I'm like, okay, these need to be musicalized for the stage show, this is 100% one of them. It's, it's so sad. Speaking of that, that so many of her thoughts in this huge moment in her life are actually about Anna. She's largely singing about Anna. Yeah. Which I find so touching. And it, this moment feels very adult. It doesn't feel like it's pandering to kids at all. And then we get the really nice moment as well of the musicalization of Elsa's relief when it all goes fine. Nothing terrible happens. And she's and like, Father, I did it. And then talking to her dead I, parents No, she's like, Father, approval. I did it. <laughs> Fuck me. So it just shows how much she has how much she has to lose because in that moment, she, she just is like, can't stop smiling and she's grinning from ear to ear. And so then, again, setting us up so we have further to fall later, I think it's just yeah. great. Yeah. In terms of if your goal was to really build up the psyche of mm-hmm. Elsa. Did it. This song does it. It does it. Like the fact that like the happiest moment in her life right now is her barely being able to pass a coronation with a straight face. I know. Oof. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Next additional music, What Do You Know About Love, is another fantastic addition to musically characterize Anna and Kristoff, building a relationship of trust. It's a great moment from the film to sort of pluck out and turn into a real moment of the show. 
their teasing of each other is that same sort of like Shrek the musical, I think I got you beat, and get your gun, anything you can do moment Mm -hmm. that ends with them building a foundation of trust for their relationship going forward. And those moments really work in theater. That's why we have so many of them. And it's a great time for us to get another song for Kristoff, give him a chance to sing some more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I'd take this in the movie too. If they wanted yeah. to do that, I, I'd take it. Yeah. I Pretty much check. any of these additional music, I, I would take it in the movie. I agree with you. I agree with you. This was actually the first Frozen single from the show that caught my ear. I remember that's what made me pause and say, okay, wait, let me actually go check out what's going on with the Frozen musical. It's catchy as all hell. Mm-hmm. And I will say I don't, like, love some of the more heavy-handed lyrics where Anna and Kristoff draw these metaphors about what love is. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy the energy, and I think the duet between the two of them should definitely have this kind of vibe. I think the journey of the song does a lot for them, too, and it's necessary because they launch into the song for me a little too soon after meeting, that it's like, really, already? But the song does move their relationship forward in a very short amount of time, and we need to move them along. So for that reason, it's good. Yeah, we need to move fast. And also, yeah. like, it's something that in the movie, we were able to have them start building their relationship around the wolf chase and the sled destruction. Yeah, right. True, true, true. And we're not doing that in the show. So we need true. to do something else. And so we're having them cross a bridge and he nearly dies. And yes. Like I feel like I have to recuse myself from talking about Hyuga because of my association with it. <laughs> that being said, I, if I have to contribute anything to that conversation, I think it works in bringing you back from intermission and putting you right back into the musical world of Frozen, keeping it light, giving you strong ensemble work, expanding on a fan favorite of Oaken. We're doing direct address to the audience because what happens in that intermission moment is like the house lights are still on. Oaken comes out and he's actually interacting with the audience. And as the song progresses, the house lights come down Mm -hmm. and we're back from intermission. So it functions in a really, really cool way in terms of like musical theater in general. And for that, I like it. And it it. just delivers on stage. And and definitely a lot of that has to do with the staging is absolutely phenomenal. It's hilarious. And up-tempo act two openers that aren't actually big and fun and funny are just irritating. And this one just fully delivers on the comedy. It is laugh out loud funny. The whole family comes out of the sauna basically naked Naked. fig leaves, (laughs) parades around the stage, goes back into the sauna. He shuts the door and it's silent on the stage. It's so, it's so damn funny. (laughs) Um, And like you said, Oaken was such a hit from the film. I fully support giving him a full song rather than a certain seagull that we all like well enough, but do we love in the same way? No. Yeah, I liked the song immediately. I think perfect, perfect act two opener. Bring us back into the world. No notes. Next thing I have, I have Kristoff's Lullaby. Oh, me too. I think this is something that we desperately needed in the film and Mm -hmm. we couldn't get. And I want them to kind of put this song in the movie, animate it, and let Johnny Groff sing it. (gasps) Because... We should connect with Kristoff falling in love with Anna as much as Anna is not realizing that about him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like I wanna I wanna musicalize that moment. Him with Sven in the in the woods. I love the underscoring in the film from Kristoff Beck in that moment. Uh I I that moment 
being musicalized mm-hmm. of Kristoff sort of admitting his feelings for Anna. I I want that. I want that. And I'm glad that we got it here. Yeah. And I just, ugh, I love these, like, I I love taking the lullaby approach, first of all. Very yeah. great call. And just I these soft romantic songs from the male leads, just like more, more, more. Please give me more of this. Yeah. Also, the soft guitar flowing underneath is so oh perfectly Kristoff. It it is very much living in the same world as reindeers are better than people, except it's a love song, but in that world. And they've yes. they've just really nailed the world that Kristoff's sound lives in. Now just give us a full-length song with this guitar-y rustic sound. That's it. This was yes, and it could be like this contemplative sort of thing. Like I don't need yeah. a her voice moment. From no, no, Christoph. no. Yeah, this is perfect. Quieter. Mm, yeah. Next positive I have is monster. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> Are we the worst? We're just like yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> this comes in exactly when we need it. We needed a more ominous song since we don't get a true villain song in this show. And to delve into the moment when Elsa is alone in her palace growing those dangerous ice shards and taking that as our our villain moment, villain song, is the right choice. Because the song is actually a really unique take on a villain song. The more I think about it, it's this like psychological profile villain song on a character who thinks they're the villain but actually isn't. It's complicated and it's different and the music reflects that. It's this grittier, edgier moment and has Elsa grappling with the possibility of her death. And it's mm-hmm. a, just a real asset to the show in making it more adult and the battle within the two princesses. How much Elsa doesn't know about her own power. Like the contemplation of like, if I die, does that end this or does that make it worse? Mm-hmm. What is my, what do I have? Like, what do I do right now? It's, it's really fantastic. And it's the closest thing we get to a villain song. Mm-hmm. And it's sung by someone who's not the villain. Yeah. Which is so God. cool. Yeah. And what we don't get to hear on the cast recording is in the show around, you know, the opening, I'll call it after Elsa has struck Anna the hidden folk arrive. Pabby asks young Elsa to tell him what she sees in the future. And she sings about how she sees everyone looking at her like she's a monster. Yeah. She says it in just the same way. So having it come back is so good. And the task ahead of the Lopez's giving Elsa something to match Let It Go is not easy. So if Let It Go is defying gravity, this is a pretty damn good match for No Good Deed. And it's almost the, it's the anti-No Good Deed because Elsa uses the song to decide she will fix things and not become the monster that everyone expects her to be while Alphabet's and like, Alphabet screw it, I am the, mo- yeah, I like, am the monster. Yeah, I'm the monster. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I'll burn it all down. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And then my last positive I have on here is True Love. Mm -hmm. And this might be one of the best songs in the show. The piano intervals in the intro are the same intervals as Do You Want to Build a Snowman? And it gives us hints as to where the true love actually is that she's singing about. Because it's actually with her sister, it's actually calling her back there. Mm. But it's also it's happening in the rooms that she's familiar with, giving Anna a musical moment of introspection to look at everything that she has done and her relationship to love. That is important for me because 
that's something that I think the film sort of glosses over because Anna's always sort of like a, okay, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And even when Olaf comes in and finds her in the room, she's like, okay, and now we're getting out of here and now we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And which is a great quality about Anna, but I feel like so much of her growth as a character has to be about finding moments where she looks inward and is like, what am I doing? Am I making mistakes here? And that's what true love is. It's that moment of introspection that still ends with her being like, but I can't help myself. I'm still going to try like that sort of thing. And I love that. I have no notes for this song. It's right there with home for me for like women in rooms being sad. Like (laughs) this is, this is, this is so good. This is one of my favorite songs in the whole show. Oh my God. And Patty Murin slays it. Oh my God. I mean, I totally agree with, we, we need, this is exactly what Anna's next song should be about. I'm totally so sad that they cut it. So wrong. Please, why? Yeah, they cut this They cut this. This is, that's so wrong. Who does that? I can't. And I definitely enjoy that this song, like you were saying, it she's in a more broken place. It's more introspective. I think that's a really nice contrast. Giving her a big power ballad about being sad, not enough of a contrast. This is good. But there isn't enough of an arc in this song. I don't think it should have gotten cut. But it doesn't, even in that like very introspective, broken place, like, for example, The Next Right Thing does this perfectly. This doesn't hit it as well as The Next Right Thing does because... Well, it's because The Next Right Thing was written after the song. Right. Like, this it, is the precursor to The Next Right Thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't build to a satisfying place. And there isn't an arc musically or dramatically. It lives in the same place tonally and melodically. And Anna deserves better than that because I can't really tell you. She doesn't, the song, the song just conveys like, look at all the things that I believed about true love. She needs that moment, but it doesn't bring me anywhere. It's very unsad. It's very flat to me. And Patty does an amazing job, but it feels very flat to me. I don't see it as flat. I I feel like it's a little bit more subtle. But there's a fine line. When we get to her final moment of like, and still the dream won't die. Like that there's like this. Then the music sort of needed resolve. to follow it then. Well, the music sort of drops out from her where it lets yeah. her just sort of like stand on her own. Because also the reality is, is like she doesn't have any other options until Olaf comes into the room and like opens yeah. it up and is like, hey, now we can get out. She's like accepting her death. But then I should feel then I should feel so much sadder at the end of the song. I don't feel anything from this song. Ah, oh, wrong. And and I, it's nowhere near home. Don't ever put those two things next to each other ever again. Oh, I think it goes somewhere. <laughs> Maybe we could have revised a lyric or something instead of cutting it. Just revise the, the t- song. Revise the song. Still call it true love. Keep the theme. I think the melody is beautiful. I love the bum, 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 bum. That's the same as the bum, 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 bum. It's the yeah, same. Do you want to build? It's, it, but it doesn't it make me feel me. anything. Well, you're heartless. So <laughs> I have a frozen whatever. heart. All right. Let's move on to our negatives since we're already sort of edging that. Okay. <laughs> I love that Hans has a song. And yes. it's a nice melody. But I just wish it was a bit more creative. Same. Uh, instead of just 
restating all of the dialogue from the movie that we learned from Hans about his backstory, just sort of like stuffed into one thing. Yeah. The reprise is a bit better for me and the melody makes more sense with the sort of anthem for Hans and like the beginnings of his rallying the kingdom behind him and not the sisters. I just, I just don't know if there isn't something else we can do. It's tough because you have to, you have to have a surprise turn at the end with him that you can't give away. I don't know what I'm hoping for here, but I'm just not convinced that there isn't another option. I want Hans to sang and yeah, me I want to know more about him. Me too. And I didn't feel like I learned anything more about him in either of these songs. It was just sort of like the same things that we know from the movie. And I was I yeah. was hoping we might learn a little bit something else. Yeah, because it's so funny. I follow Ryan McCartan on Instagram. And so sometimes some, somebody submitted a question to him asking a little bit about Hans's motivation and what he had to come up with on his own was super interesting. And I'm like, we like I totally agree. We need that. There's not I don't know. I I enjoy the tone of the song as at this point it plays perfectly into Hans's like little innocent act that he's doing. Poor me. Mm-hmm. I think I'd, uh, same. I'd like a fully fleshed out solo for Hans. It would have been very interesting to see what Bobby and Kristen came up with in terms of what would be worth a solo for him. Like, let's flesh him out even more in this version so that his betrayal then is even more cruel. Like, he's just a little, he's still feels a little blurry around the edges for me. Yeah, or like, does he have a solo song after the reveal? Yeah, or does maybe. he have a solo song during the that, reveal? Yeah, that could definitely, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, maybe yeah. it starts as a duet between the two of them, of like, blah, 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 and maybe the... If only there was someone who loved you is musical. Yeah. And, and then, then it goes into true love. It goes into something I'm else. Into that. And then fades into true love. I'm into it. Yeah. And maybe he maybe he does a sort of darker motif of introducing the melody of true love. Mm-hmm. And he talks like about how true like love is real. And then she flips it into like a major key <gasps> or something like that. And then she sings about true love. Uh-huh. I feel like that could sell it. That might give you the arc you need. Yeah. Oh, well, hey. Connect me with Bobby and Kristen. Teamwork, I baby. It. I solved it. We yeah. fixed it. The, the, I think the only song that I really like did not like was Colder by the Minute. Okay. I have it in my negatives as well. Let me hear what you have to say. It just feels like we are taking too many musical themes and trying to make them all work together. And I'm not 100% sure that they do. And like, I know we're trying to reintroduce the ensemble narration that we had in the beginning to help us like reach to the end. It's not terrible. We also have to do that because the way the blizzard is. Yeah, they literally make the blizzard. They make her freeze. We need them. (laughs) Yeah, the ensemble is the blizzard and like are connecting her. So it's like, I get why we're doing it. I feel like it's the it's the example of the narration that I don't like of the a lot of telling and not showing. I would and maybe this is this is me again in the same way Prince Eric, I would have rather do a full on heavy underscore to all of this and let the actors like, I'm with you on that. child kind of moment this. Yeah. I don't think we need all of this narration to reach the climax of the show. I think, honestly, in the closing number, we could introduce the narration again and we'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. It's just a little bit, it's a bit funky for me. I mean, for me, it starts out... <laughs> a lot happening. Yeah, it, it starts out so well for me because I, like, having the beginning of it, we finally put in Frozen Heart. I'm like, oh, yes, 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 I was that like, put it in me. here. I think that this should have been a fully built out Frozen Heart song. It could have just been called Frozen Heart. And 
the ensemble could sing about everything. They think about Elsa and what they think she's going to do. They start rumors that her heart is frozen. Then Anna can sing a counter about how her heart is literally freezing. Um, this just feels like an like kind of what you were saying, an early version of this moment. Yes, it feels like a draft. Yeah. Um, for me, m- maybe we could have had like a Hamilton Burr finale moment where we freeze within the moment that Elsa freezes Anna and have them sing about what they wish could have been, what they wish they could tell each other in those moments. Maybe even... I hear wailing in the street. Yeah, like... Elsa tells me you better hide. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even a version of I can't lose you. I don't know. I think, though that this climax deserves an epic sister duet, like the best epic sister duet that we've ever heard in our lives. I think if that had happened... Where's our quartet? <laughs> maybe. Um, I think if they had written that, it would have. I would have walked away being like, that's my favorite song from the show. It would have kind of changed how we see Frozen overall. I think we just we do need an Elsa and Anna duet and I know that's what they were getting at with I can't lose you but I think it should have we should have frozen <laughs> no pun intended within the most gigantic moment in the entire show yeah i'm just not convinced that this moment needs to belong to the ensemble vocally yeah i agree and it's a duet it's an Anna Elsa duet in some kind of way yeah supported by the ensemble doing like maybe Oz uh, and like Ooze. Yes, that kind of stuff and doing Cursed Child with their robes and and all of that stuff. And then that would lead into a perfect musical moment that I'm still missing from this show that I have in my negative is that when Anna fully freezes, I want a Do You Want to Build a Snowman reprise from Elsa. In the musical, she does have like a musical sort of moment in this. But I want it specifically, do you want to build a snowman? I want it to be her answering the door Mm -hmm. that has been knocked on for so many years of her life. And I want her acknowledging that. So, like, that's that's my thing. But all in all, those are my negatives. Mm -hmm. Good bones. Good ass bones to this thing. Like, if we're, like, getting nitpicky like this and fixing it in the the duration of this podcast, Mm -hmm. like, we're in a good place. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so let's do our overall thoughts. I actually don't have many bad things to say about this album. With the exception of one dud at the end, the show capitalizes on what works, and every new addition feels meaningful and earned. Everything is a touch darker, a tad more serious, and a bit more complex than the film that we know. But all the while, the music feels very clear. The orchestra benefits from this clarity with terrific orchestrations and arrangements. We understand the hierarchy of the orchestra. We bring in the piano hard to land those simple moments that need to land hard and give us emotion. And then this gives us the emotional depth and complexity. We have places to go and the orchestra is doing something on its own that is very much in support of what's happening. In general, I think another of the major strengths are some of the new lyrics and dialogue throughout the adaptation and the additional music. 
it's all very much in the voices of these characters. That's what sells a little bit of you for me. The dialogue between those girls, the like mentions of like her butt and like things like that. Mm -hmm. It is in the voices of those characters. And that can be attributed to having Jennifer Lee as the book writer. Additionally, they are choosing all of the right moments of the film that can be afforded to sit for a little longer or tease out into something musical. It's impressively well done and such a benefit of having so many of the film's creative team working on the stage musical. In all probability, we are experiencing moments and deepening that was on their radar from the original film that they couldn't include because of the nature of their medium. All in all, there is a taste and sophistication level with this show that is much more exciting to me, and frankly, I was surprised to find. I can feel that we are doing something different and deeper that is grounded in the story, rather than trying to spin out something new just for fun or because we know people want to see it. They made a cash grab with Frozen the musical, but they turned that cash grab into something actually artistic. Hmm. I just think this cast recording, like we said, it just does so much of what I want a stage adaptation to do. It raises the stakes. It adds sophistication. It adds context. I definitely want more songs or at least one fleshed out solo each for Christoph and Hans. But I know I, I sort of said that about Little Mermaid, too. And I know these shows can't go on forever. They also need balances of up tempos and ballads and all of those things. The additions to the score feel very much like they live in the same world. They're extremely cohesive. I will say it's interesting. There isn't exactly a new song that I am fully obsessed with and now cannot imagine Frozen without. I could definitely see them in in the film for sure. Oh, Dangerous to Dream is sort of that moment. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking like, I guess you're right. It probably is Dangerous to Dream. I just always keep coming back to If I Can't Love Her from Beauty and the Beast. Like that changed sure. the flipping game for me. Home is that um, way too. Yeah. Is the one thing that I'm missing just that big epic sister duet to just clinch it all? I think it's very possible. But I think this speaks to how good the additional music is in the show. I want to hear more from this world that feels like it's just in there, it's cohesive, it's interesting, and I want more from it. And I think that, at the end of the day, kind of says everything. And it's interesting. I went in this, I went into this episode thinking that these were two great cast recordings to pit against each other because I was like, I love them both. There's lots of different things going on. Um, but there's a pretty clear winner for me. Yeah, for me, I went into this and I was like, I don't know, I don't know Frozen, but it's got some competition because from what I remember of Little Mermaid, that shit had some had some bangers to it. Yeah. And I think it's because I just hold her voice so high in my And I think it's also mind. just the age we were when it came out. We were so susceptible and just like looking for that and yeah. I was knocked off my feet listening to this cast recording. I cannot tell you the last time a cast recording like made me well up in tears in the in the opening number. No, the opening of this, I can't explain it. It makes me cry every single time. It's really interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the fact that I also think about all of the ensemble members and all of the, the cast of that show that never got to really... I know. I know. They got cast in that show and they never really got to do it. But I know. I, yeah. The, I thought that this was an evenly matched one and it yeah. turned out to be like no contest. 
it's frozen. Frozen's the winner of this showdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think it could have come back on the other side of of the COVID shutdown. And I still think that they would be doing well. I I know. It is such a damn shame. Oh, my God. Fortunately, the tour is happening. So they did launch right into a tour. So more people can get to see Frozen. Mm -hmm. But I just think that Frozen deserves to... To finish its run on Broadway out the right way. I know. I know. I agree. Not on a technicality. Mm-hmm. Well, all righty. I think that's going to do <laughs> it for us for this episode. This monster. Woo! Yeah, no wow. Two-part <laughs> episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you liked what you heard, please remember to hit five stars and leave that review so that other people can find the podcast. We're seen in search results, all that good stuff. And be sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so all the episodes download to your device. You don't miss out on anything. You're always up to date with any new content we have, bonus or otherwise. And please follow us on social media. We are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter. We'll see what happens with Twitter, but check it out while you still can. (laughs) But so far, it's been wonderful hearing everyone's uh, thoughts and memories from seeing The Little Mermaid on Broadway. That's some people's first Broadway show, which is always so lovely to hear about. So we're very excited to hear what you all have to say about Frozen, too. So pop on over there. And if you want to talk even more in depth about the Bob and Bob showdown about this specific showdown that we just finished, anything Disney related, please join us in our private Facebook group, The Poor Unfortunate Fam. We are truly, I think we're two folks away from having 100 people in the fam. Oh, yeah. 100 to end 2022, <laughs> whatever year this is, would be amazing. Yeah. Please join us there. We would love to get to know you a little bit better and just have you be uh, a part of the lovely little family we have there. So please join. And just a reminder, the Poor Unfortunate Shop is open for all of your merchandise and holiday shopping needs. Go to poorunfortunatepodcast.com slash shop to see all of our Poor Unfortunate merchandise. And if you are buying anything for the Christmas holiday or any holidays that you might celebrate towards the end of December, make sure that your orders are placed by December 12th so that they can arrive to you in time. Again, the Poor Unfortunate Shop is Poor Unfortunate Podcast. Dot com slash shop. And as we always say, it does take us a little bit of money to keep the podcast up and running and coming to you. We do have a PayPal account. It's linked in our episode description and in all of our social media links. Truly anything that you have to spare goes a long way for us. You can make a one-time donation, a monthly donation, more than that. It all just goes right back into the podcast, keeping it free and ad-free for the most part. So yeah, anything that you have is so, so appreciated. And we do know while it is the season of giving, sometimes you do have to keep money a little bit tighter for yourself to get through the holiday season. Totally understand. Please make sure to recommend the podcast to a friend. Write that review go that little extra mile to make sure that someone else might uh, might get some holiday cheer with Poor Unfortunate Podcast. Tell a friend, tell a co-worker, tell an enemy. We love it. We'll take them all. They're all welcome. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. That's the big one. <laughs> that's it. Until next time, Beluga, Beluga Sabruga. Sabruga.